up, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I am your host, Victor, and I am really excited about today's podcast. And I say that every week, and then I say that every week. But today is really serious. I love talking about this topic in particular. One, because I feel like I have a lot of kind of firsthand experience. And although I'm no expert in this field, I feel like, at least I hope, that I have adequate knowledge to to communicate what we're going to talk about uh, to you guys. So I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. I am currently uh, looking over emails and I love hearing from you guys and hearing what you guys have to say about the podcast and, and hearing your ideas. So if you want to shoot me an email, just email me. It's gracenationministries at yahoo.com. I don't have one of those fancy, you know, help at Grace Nation. I could, but I just don't feel like it. Um, and so just message or email me easy, Grace Nation Ministries at yahoo.com. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, all those places. You can uh, pitch your idea if you guys have topics or questions that you'd like to be addressed on the podcast. I am more than happy to talk about anything and everything that you guys want to discuss. This semester, I have a pretty awesome schedule. A lot of you know we've been talking about it for the past few weeks on the podcast. I work as a student director, and I've just been absolutely loving that. But as well as you know, being a student director and pouring into my students, I'm also a full-time seminary student. And so I am taking multiple classes this semester. I took two over the summer. I took five last semester. It's been a crazy, intense process. And seminary is no joke, uh, as I quickly found out when I when I applied. But it has been a major blessing. And this this semester, I have the opportunity to take the intro to New Testament. And the interesting thing about this class is Intro to New Testament is a class that I've taken before. I've actually taken it multiple times before. Before I moved up to Wake Forest, North Carolina, or now Durham, I took it in Florida. So I took a New Testament class in Florida. It was really good. I thought it was challenging. And then I came to a real New Testament class. But the New Testament class that I am in right now is particularly challenging. And we are discussing quite a few really deep and uh, things that I just never really thought about. And and, and I think I think we should at least take a moment to, to begin to chew on this stuff because I don't think the topic, which I'm saving for in just a few minutes, the topic that we're going to discuss today isn't something that most lay people will study in their life. And so I, I just want to talk about it and maybe encourage you guys in your study of this topic. And so, yes, my first class of New Testament was last week. It was absolutely fantastic. It was three hours of just being crushed by insane, awesome biblical truths. It's, it's just that feeling of like when you learn something new that you didn't know before and your mind just like opens up and puzzle pieces connect. And, and that kind of feeling, it was the entire time I was sitting in my New Testament class. And so it was just amazing. The Lord just expanded my knowledge on him. And much of that had to do with the study of Greek. Now, that's kind of a scary word for a lot. It's kind of a scary word for a lot of us. 
And sorry if there's a weird clip there. I had to pause it. And so I hope it didn't mess it up too much. But yeah, that's that's that can be a kind of scary term, especially for people who are just kind of going to church on Sunday and feel like what the preacher is communicating or hoping that what the preacher is communicating is what the original text had said. But a lot of times that's not the case. And for us to be able to get like the most out of our English translations, we need to have at least some understanding of what the author was trying to portray. And for us to understand what the author was trying to portray, we need an understanding of the original languages. Now, what I'm saying is what I'm not saying is to rush out and go take every Greek and Hebrew class that you can. That is not what I'm saying at all. In fact, if that's what you're going to get from this podcast, please stop because you're misinterpreting what I'm trying to say. I I personally, and I've been bouncing back and forth on this, but with the way that technology is advancing, with the way that we are beginning to understand uh, how to interpret things, how to translate things, how translation softwares have gotten so advanced nowadays where you can literally have an earpiece in your ear and have it actively translated in real time if someone's talking to you in a different language. There are plenty of technology sources where you can get a basic understanding of the Greek without having to have two years of it in seminary. And a perfect example of that is Blue Letter Bible. If you if you use the Bible app or if you use anything like that, just go ahead and download the Blue Letter Bible app or they have a website That website is like the Bible app on steroids. You can literally dive into individual Greek words, look them up in the lexicon, see every instance that they're used in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Blue Letter Bible is a fantastic resource, especially for those who are just looking for the basics of Greek and not trying to understand all of the layers and layers of layers of the grammatical depth. But what I I want to take this podcast and do is explain to you why... Sometimes our English translation falls short or falls flat or or doesn't necessarily get the translation right because if you've ever gone to a different country or you've ever even come into any type of interaction with another language, you probably know that a lot of times there is no direct translations for a lot of the things we're trying to say. For example, I was recently in Guatemala and I was trying to say something in English that didn't necessarily translate right in Spanish. And so they weren't able to do it. And so what happens a lot of time is as we understand the Greek and we try to bring it into English, sometimes there are things that that we just can't translate. And so, uh, yeah, so I want to take just um, just today's episode and I want to talk about how you can uh, increase your knowledge in the biblical languages, how you can pursue studying those. And then like, why should you like, what's the purpose? Like, is it really that big of a difference if I read it in English or if I understood some of the nuances of what the Greek and what the author was trying to say? Like, does that type of stuff matter? Well. Uh, I think the first thing that we have to say, and this is, I I don't know, and my New Testament uh, professor said it this way, is he, this is the most common scholarly argument for the inspiration of scripture. And 
it might sound weird if you've never heard of like the inspiration of scripture. And that's a very common word in Christianity, right? The Bible is the inspired word of God, right? Uh, it's a very common thing. And I don't want to get too much into the inspiration of scripture, but what I need to communicate to you is that your English Bible that you have on your desk or in your car and your backpack or that you're holding right now is not the inspired word of God. Like we need like try and I'm not a heretic, I promise you. But but the Bible that you are holding is not the inspired ink that God used to portray his word. The inspired word of God is those original strokes of ink that Paul was making when he was writing the book of 1 Corinthians. The inspired word of God is is the ink that Mark used when he was writing Acts. The inspired word of God are those original autographs that the apostles and associates close to the apostles used to pin scripture originally. That is the inspired word of God. Now, we have the blessing of reading copies of that. But we know that whenever we copy something, some things can get messed up through translation and through copies and, and something that has existed for thousands of years is, is it is going to happen where something is copied down incorrectly. Now, thankfully we, we believe that there are very few errors in the way that we have copied scripture throughout the, throughout the years, throughout the generations, because the scribes and the monks and these people who were, who were copying scripture did it with, with such intentionality. And that if there was a mistake made, most other uh, monks and people, scribes who were writing would catch each other's mistakes. And it was a very self-correcting process. In fact, we have well over 20,000 known manuscripts copied from the autographs, which are the original writings of the Bible. That is a lot. 20,000 manuscripts is a lot. That number is astronomically more than any other religion or any other ancient writing has to its name. 20,000 manuscripts, and all of them have pretty dead, close, accurate writings. I don't know if that made sense. They're pretty much all accurate. Like, they're very, very, very accurate. So, Scripture claims inspiration only from the biblical authors and not elsewhere. That's what the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy states. If you want to go look that up, that is what the Southern Baptists claim. The Chicago Statement is kind of like what the Southern Baptists hold up to say, here is our statement on biblical inerrancy. And I pulled that from Article 10. Um, Only the written words of the authors are inspired. Um, I want to take a quick look. and, And so that is important to us. That means that in the New Testament, the inspired word of God was written in Greek. That means that the language that God chose was Greek. Same thing, mostly Greek. Aramaic too, if you want to, we can argue that for Matthew, but Greek and Aramaic, mostly Greek. And then we can go to the Old Testament and God chose to write the Old Testament in Hebrew. And only the pen, what the authors wrote were and are the inspired word of God. In Matthew 5.18, we talk about a, a, 
I don't know the the right ways to say this, but it's like a yacht. Like like every smallest mark in the Old Testament is inspired. If you know Hebrew, you should look up a picture of it. Hebrew writing has has these little squiggles kind of off the ends of the letters, and they might look insignificant. But when those marks are removed, then it's a completely different word. And so in Matthew 5.18, what Jesus is saying is that even the little squiggles from the Old Testament, all the way down to the grammar, all the way down to the punctuation, all the way down to the uh, theology, everything is inspired. The smallest stroke of the pen is inspired. Um, and so some of these minute details, those, those little scribbles can't be seen in English, but they make a major difference in our exegesis. Uh, so in Galatians three sixteen, we see that the promised seed and all you dispensationals will probably hate this. The promised seed back in Exodus is not Israel. And, and what happens is in the Old Testament, when, when, when God is promising Abraham all of these, uh, this nation of people, he's not talking in a plurality statement. And the Hebrew reveals this to us. But it's actually singular. And Galatians 3.16 gives us this picture. No, the seed of Abraham isn't plural, but the seed of Abraham is going to be fulfilled in the coming Christ. Singular. Or in Matthew twenty two thirty two, uh, where we have like present verbs versus non-present verbs. There's one passage that I want us to look at, and it's Colossians one fifteen. And I have the I have the um, little brief piece of it that I want to look at, but I'll read the whole verse to you guys just so that we have it. We will read it in what version should we do it? I think we should do, let's do HCSB because I think that one will fit. Actually, no, not HCSB, CSB. Let's see. No, that's not a good one either. Man, I'm trying to, trying to figure it out. Oh, well. I will read the passage that I have here. I don't know what version this is, but this is a very commonly used version of the Bible. Um, actually, guys, I've been kind of digging the, NI, the NIV. Just a short little blip it from me. But Okay, here, here's a perfect, we'll use ESV. ESV is a very common uh, translation of the Bible. In fact, if I were to bet... Most everyone listening to this podcast either uses or has an ESV Bible like actively. So Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Let's look at that last clause right there. The firstborn of all creation. How would someone reading that in English translate that clause? the firstborn of all creation. Remove context for a second. Take that out. Just, just, just explain that clause. That clause states that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the first created thing. And a lot of people's Christology reflects this, the firstborn of all creation. 
Jesus is the first created thing. That is something that was an early heresy that Christians had to combat early on into the first, second, third, and fourth centuries. And so clearly Jesus isn't created. And if you believe that you have a bad Christology, but this is what ESV says, the firstborn of all creation. Well, in Greek, there is really no word for of. There, there's just, there's just not. Um, and so what happens is, is when we're translating this into English, it doesn't really make sense unless we have some type of article there. And so what people will do is, is people will put the word of in because people believe that it is a good representative of the genitive case in Greek. And in most cases, the genitive form of this article of is an accurate translation. It's not a direct translation, but just like the article the or the article a, like these these words that might not have direct translations, of is a is a decent word to choose. However, in some instances, it can the word of, although small, can change the entire meaning of of a passage. And so how do we, we have to look at that, right? Like, obviously it's not of, because that implies that Jesus was a created thing. Well, if you look at the Greek, you'll know that that genitive form is actually called the genitive of subordination, which is a fancy word of saying this is a special word. And in that case, if, if there is a title preceding the genitive word, then that modifies the word that comes after it. And so look with me here. So the title is firstborn. That's the title that is, that is there. Now we have to ask ourselves, is firstborn an authoritative title? Well, if you look at Psalms and, and you really just look anywhere in the Old Testament, you'll know that the firstborn son would receive a larger inheritance, right? You, Jesus is often referred to as the firstborn in Psalms. We talk about the firstborn uh, being blessed, right? The firstborn son would usually, or always, unless they stupidly gave it away, would uh, be ones to receive blessings from God. And so firstborn is a title of authority. And so this genitive of subordination comes into play. And so now of is no longer of, and since it's no longer of, and since it's the genitive of subordination, it will modify the word that comes after it. So it's no longer the firstborn of all creation. It is now the firstborn over all creation. Oh, well now Jesus isn't a created thing. Jesus isn't a created being, but the word of and the word over change the meaning of that passage. And if you do not know that and you just read the ESV and try to explain it, it is very easy to, to become an unintentional heretic. It is very easy to become an unintentional heretic. And so I'm going to try. I don't want to get too deep in Greek. I don't know that much Greek. I've only taken two semesters of it and I'm done and not taking any more. But what I'm saying is is that if we didn't have a fundamental, if we don't have a fundamental knowledge of what Greek is or how to read it or how to interpret it, 
then we are going to fall into these pitfalls. And so what tools like Blue Letter Bible and Lagos in a lot of cases, or even just Greek textbooks, what they'll do is they will help you understand what these words mean. And so if we go to, I'm going to go to Blue Letter Bible right now, and I will show you how this will help us interpret Colossians 1.15. So you go to Blue Letter Bible, you can just type in Colossians 1.15, and it will take you straight there. So now I'm looking at Colossians 1.15, and the, the way the KJV interprets it is the firstborn of every creature. Still, misinterpretation of that word of. So you can click on tools, and it will expand all of the available words that you can look up in Greek. And so now you just go to of, you click on that, and now you're on the Greek page for the word of. And now it's telling you words like each, every, all, over, everyone, all things. The firstborn over all things would be an appropriate translation. And it will give you in every instance where that word is used in the New Testament. So now, you not knowing Greek have now just been able to better understand what that word means in that context. It takes a little bit of work, but you don't have to have a, a deep understanding of Greek punctuation and grammar and all these nuances that Greek has. You don't have to take two semesters of Greek to understand it. You just have to be intentional in how you read the Bible and look up things that sound, you know, maybe you need to look up the Greek, and that's okay. I want to encourage you to do that. And so... I'll stop rambling on this podcast. It could go for another few hours if I could give you all these different uh, meanings and all these different Greek words and all the stuff I could go on. I could give you punctuation examples or textual criticisms, right? Um, if we look at John 1.18, right? No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. That's what the ESV says. It clearly references the deity of Christ by saying only God. But then if you go to the HCSB, no one has seen God, the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side. Well, one says the only son, one says the only God. ESV more properly interprets and communicates the reference to the deity of Christ. The reason the HCSB probably did the one and only son is because John, the author of the book of John, often uses the one and only son. But there are two different words here. But when we're translating it into English, it just, it makes sense since that's what John does. Maybe he just accidentally misspoke. And so when we're translating, sometimes these little things will pop up. And so John 1.18 is a perfect example. Or Matthew 1.1, right? This is actually a really interesting, an interesting um, point, right? If we look up Matthew 1.1, I'll do it real quick. Let's see, Matthew 1, 1 in ESV says the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But the word genealogy actually in Greek is Genesis. So the proper translation isn't genealogy, it's Genesis. And the sense of like origin, Matthew actually begins with a creation account in Matthew 1, 1. 
It's the same phrase that's used in Genesis. It's actually used twice. You want to know why Matthew is starting his book with a creation account? Because Matthew wants us to understand that the gospel is is a new creation. Jesus causes us to be a new creation. Like, that's an enriched theology that you won't get from the word genealogy. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a new beginning. It's a new covenant. And I could go on and on and on with different examples. But what I want, what I, what I want you to do, it's just for these next few weeks, take some time and go on the Blue Letter Bible and type in some of your favorite Bible verses. Start there. And, and maybe you'll, your theology will begin to be enriched as you read these words that, that they'll, begin, they'll begin to come alive to you. They'll begin to take on some, maybe not completely new meaning, but begin to open your mind to new ways, to new characteristics of God. Don't let this cause you to question your Bible. Most of them, all the big guys, they're, they're good. ESV is good. HCSB is good. NIV is good. CSB is good. They're good. But enrich in your theology by taking a step into Greek. I promise you that God will use that to enliven your spiritual life and maybe even reveal himself more clearly to you in the process. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's weird. Whenever I'm recording a podcast, I get a stuffy nose. Like I have not had a stuffy nose all week. I don't get stuffy noses, especially in the summer. Like there's nothing to give me a stuffy nose. It's not cold. I'm not sick. Whenever I start talking for 30 minutes or whatever straight, I get a stuffy nose and then I have to like do that nose thing and it doesn't sound great on, on microphone and all this stuff. And then it sounds like I'm sick every week, but I'm not, I promise. So I'm good guys this week, be in prayer for Florida. The, I'm not currently there, but I have a lot of friends who are, I have a lot of family who are, uh, just, just keep Florida in your prayers. Pray that, pray for safety, pray for gospel proclamation in the midst of hurt and pray for brave people. Pray for our law enforcement, for our fire departments, uh, for our first responders who are going to be in the midst fighting against the storm and, and saving people's lives. Pray for that. Pray that God would be sovereign over the storm, that he would keep people safe and that people would hear the gospel as a result. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. You guys are beautiful and you are one of a kind. Until next time, take care and God bless.